0: Hi, and welcome to Birth Aloud with Kristen Piscucci. That's me. This is my very first show, so thank you for being here with me. I'm going to start out by introducing myself a little bit today and giving you some background on who I am and what I do and what this show is going to be about. So, again, my name is Kristen, I am the founder of Birth Monopoly. That is a website and organization where I look at the business monopoly around childbirth and how that restricts the rights and options of families and women giving birth. I work a lot with the legal and human rights of people, of women giving birth, and of families. Something that a lot of people don't understand, just how limited in the United States these things are for families. Maternity care is um, in a little bit of a crisis, actually, in, in America. We have the, the most expensive maternity care system in the entire world, and yet we have some of the worst health outcomes in the developed world. The U.S. has a rising maternal mortality rate which is sort of a shocking and shameful statistic. African-American women and babies die at much higher rates than white women and babies. And, A lot of this is due to system failure, not some of the reasons that I think a lot of people assume um, things like, you know, obesity or older mothers or, you know, just women in poorer health. The fact is that we have a system in crisis and as families and women are striving desperately for better care and better options, we are restricted by the status quo. So I'm right in Lexington, Kentucky, and Kentucky is one of those states where we have very few options. The vast majority of people, about 99% of people, give birth in hospitals, and over 90% of them give birth with physicians. That's unusual in the world, where Midwives actually lead a lot of maternity care in, in good and better systems than what we have. So in Kentucky, families have been working for several years now to get home birth midwifery. Actually, I shouldn't say home birth. I should just say out of hospital midwifery legalized. So that's midwifery that would take place in either the home setting or in a birth center setting. I have with me today Mary Carol Akers who is a certified nurse midwife and a home birth midwife in Kentucky and has been for many years. She's well known and well respected and she works with other types of midwives and she has been working really hard to bring a birth center to the state of Kentucky. So. First off, before before I bring Mary Carol on, I want to explain very briefly that there are different types of midwives. The the two biggest groups of midwives that most of us will hear about are certified nurse midwives, or CNMs, and certified professional midwives, which which are CPMs. Mary Carol is a certified nurse midwife who works with CPMs. CPMs work outside of hospitals. So, Mary Carol, thank you for being here. Thank you for having me, Kristen. Sure thing. Um, Will you tell us a little bit about your background? I know you you had um, an esteemed military career. (laughs)
1: Well, um, thanks. I um, went to the University of Kentucky and got my master's degree and became certified as a certified nurse midwife, in 1980. And I've been practicing since that time. Originally, my um, my practice was all in the military. I served in the United States Army for 25 years plus, retired from the military here in the Fort Knox area, and uh, thought that I would start the birth center that I had dreamed about through my whole career, and found that that wasn't really possible. Yeah. As I for a birth center to come about, then I uh, started doing home births. And the experts in home births are certified professional midwives. They're the ones that have been doing it and are the midwives best trained in out-of-hospital birth. Mm -hmm. And so I've been working with certified professional midwives for lots of years now, and we work very well in collaboration and in consultation. And work best for the best outcomes for all
0: Kentuckians. That's awesome. That's awesome. I want to um, I want to explain a little bit about what a birth center is, so people understand why why you are so eager to get that to get one here in Kentucky, and why yes. families and consumers are so eager to have a birth center. Um, I will ask you to talk a little bit about what it is um, right after I explain that the statistics for birth centers are just stellar. They are, um, the health outcomes exceed hospital birth outcomes on many, many levels. They are, uh, they're lower cost, they're lower intervention. Um, again, the outcomes are just wonderful, including a, I think it's a 6% average cesarean rate. Um, the national average is over 30%. So we know that that lower cesarean rate means that women are having fewer, women and babies are having fewer complications and catastrophes. The, uh, some of the some of the other associated you know other associated benefits um, have to do with bonding and breastfeeding because there is no separation of the mother and baby immediately after birth, which is something that routinely happens in hospitals, even though it's not based on evidence. And in fact, we we've known for years that that is harmful to women and babies. So with that with that background. Um, Mary Carol, maybe you could just explain, sort of paint a picture for us of what a birth center is?
1: Yes, certainly. Um, most birth centers, and I've t- toured more than 20 in the United States, um, as well as had plans for my own. Most birth centers are maxi homes, not mini hospitals. They are uh, warm, comforting, inviting place for families, they have a family room, there's places for people to wait, or even a kitchen to make their uh, loved ones their celebration meal afterwards. Um, The bedrooms are like bedrooms, not like hospital rooms at all. Uh, One of the things I love most about home birth and birth center birth is that uh, moms and dads do this work together, and when the baby is here, then they snuggle in together and celebrate their success. Yeah. Uh, I want that for all women. I love our clients, and one of the things about midwifery is we get to know them like sisters. We expect only good things for them and and would risk nothing for them. Way back in the 1980s, we used to say uh, reasons to have a, a nurse midwife or any midwife is, you deserve more than a five-minute prenatal visit, and you do. Most of our visits are at least an hour. We talk to people. We work with people. We get to know who they are, what their hopes and dreams are, and we help them reach their goals.
0: Yeah, I want to. If I can interrupt you for just a second, um, I think that's I think that's a really important point. Um, that when you when you have a birth that is out of hospital, part of that means taking on the responsibility of being as. As low risk and as healthy as you can be. So any midwife who is working with families in out of hospital births is going to be vigilant about helping that helping that woman and that family. um, I'm sorry, the the woman and the baby be as healthy as possible throughout pregnancy. And as healthy as possible throughout birth. So this isn't like you go in and you know you step on a scale and you pee in a cup and then they say all right you're good and you go home. These are comprehensive visits where you know you're talking about what your nutrition is like, what your stress level is like, you know how you're preparing for the birth, um, you know your physical activity, all those things to to make sure that mom and baby are in optimal health to reduce the risk of complications, right?
1: Exactly, exactly.
0: Yeah, yeah, and that that has a huge effect on birth outcomes.
1: It does, and and when you're working that hard, having trust in your team, and knowing ahead of time who your team is affects birth outcomes, too. It's very hard to walk into some place and meet somebody for the first time and trust them with you and your baby's life. Yeah, it's it's very different to know who you're seeing and that they know you too, and that you believe in them and they believe in
0: you. Yeah, yeah, I love that. <laughs> it's so true. Um, I want to talk about I want to talk about the outcomes a little bit because I think safety is just top of everybody's list. I think we all, you know, the average American assumes that if you're out of hospital, you're taking a huge risk. So we've already touched on that, but I'm just going to ask you straight up, what are your stats like as far as safety goes compared to, um, you know, the the, the, average, um, the average maternity care facility?
1: Well, our stats are very good. We don't have... Um Some of the testimony against birth centers was about that um, we don't have an operating room right available to us in birth centers or in home birth, and the truth is we work so that we don't need an operating room, or if we see that we might need one, then we do early transfers to the hospital. Right. We are not home birth at all costs. We are not um, untrained or ignorant women. We are men and women, men practice midwifery too, men and women who are invested in the health and security of our families and our nation. And so generally with all of us, we expect the transfer to the hospital rate to be about 12%.
0: And why do people usually transfer?
1: The most common reason for transfer is that labor's taking too long, the mother's getting exhausted, and, and she's crossed the line from working hard to suffering. We're not mm-hmm. into suffering at all. If, if you are well and your baby is well, then we can keep working together. But if you're feeling defeated and like you can't get this done and there's no way, then we want to go to the hospital and get additional services. The additional services might be an epidural, might be some IV fluids, might be some Pitocin to make contractions stronger. All those things are possible, but all those interventions are things that do not happen in home birth and in um, birth center births. Both of those are very low intervention. Now, everybody worries about the big emergency, the life or death type emergency. In all the national statistics, with over 22,000 out-of-hospital births recorded, one-half of 1% were emergency transfers. were those, we've got to go right now, let's go. Most of them are just transfers for we need some additional help. And with that, with a 12% total transfer rate, then 88% of women who choose to try, to have a birth out of hospital, are very successful. They do a great job. Right. And we deliver their babies or help their husbands, whatever the family wants. Uh, the baby is put on their chest. We do delayed cord clamping. You know, the placenta is the baby's first set of lungs. And so by not cutting the cord, the baby has a little bit more time to respond to Learning to breathe, yeah, gets time to get dried off and to be hugged on its mama's chest and to just learn, okay, it's time to take my first breath,
0: yeah, you know, I shudder yep. when I see those pictures of babies you know being held up by their feet, you know, squalling <laughs> you know yeah. um, in a hospital. Um, and you know a lot of a lot of my friends and women I've talked to, you know we're really unpleasantly surprised at having their babies taken away from them immediately at birth to go you know um be sort of inspected but then just sit in a warmer you know have the baby sit in a warmer yeah. by itself and and crying without its without its mother um which they call observation um but the baby's just kind of alone <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it is. Yeah, and you're missing and that is. skin-to-skin contact that naturally helps the baby regulate its temperature and lower its stress levels and, um, you know, get breastfeeding started sooner. Yes,
1: and that's what I I especially love about it is babies will do the breast crawl. They'll get to the breast themselves. They um, are very bright and instinctive. They will save their own lives as they need to, they'll get to the breast and eat, just like all mammals do. Like all mammals, though, we don't deliver well or easily when we're afraid. Yeah. And so when we have to go to strange environments where we've never been before and have to put on gowns that are not our own and we're restricted from eating foods and fluids, which is not evidence-based, then we're harmed sometimes and not able
0: to uh, uh, the not able to move around um thing i think is really really important to a lot of people because being put on your back you know sometimes in stirrups when you're having contractions and you know you're having your 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 body is going through this this major move and transition um that can be that can be really really tough on a mom
1: It is tough on a mom, and even from the 1970s when I first learned about uh, birth, the only thing that having a woman on her back and her legs in the air is good for is the delivering person. It is not a physiologic um, position to be in to give birth. Well, it's the way everybody has been taught more recently, and we just have to do better.
0: Yeah,
1: in hospital, out of hospital, all of that. It's okay for women to be in other positions. Yeah, nothing bad happens, except that maybe the um, delivering person is going to have to squat down.
0: Well, I um, would I would go a step further and say it's better for women to be in other positions if that is what the woman's body is telling her to do, and we have we have research to support that. We know that being flat on your back. Is is bad? Is bad for the baby? Yeah. Is bad for the mother? It decreases the circulation to the uterus. Yes, and it is bad for the baby, and and it's very
1: hard for the mother to have to push uphill.
0: Right, right. Which you know, in some women choose to be on their backs, and that's totally fine. Um, the point is that you should have the option. You know that it's yeah. that it is about, um, you know, who's allowing whom, right? <laughs>
1: yes. Yeah. Um, and the truth is, Kristen, there are some babies that I only got out because the mother was would get in that position, mm-hmm. and I could help widen her pelvis a little bit and get her baby out. Mm-hmm. So it's not like um, it's black or white. You know, everything right. one way or the other is um, wrong or right. There are situations in which that's the perfect option. Right. It's just that it's way overused. It's used way too much, and people are being harmed by it.
0: Yeah, it's all about options. This is Birth Allowed with Kristen Piscucci, and I'm talking to Mary Carol Akers, who is a Kentucky midwife. She's a certified nurse midwife who works with certi- certified professional midwives doing out-of-hospital births. In the first part of the show, we talked a little bit about what, um, what Mary Carroll does, what the different types of midwives are, and what a birth center is, and what, what that means for families who choose birth centers. Um, to take it down a little bit more personally, Mary Carroll has been trying to bring a birth center to Kentucky for years. There is no birth center in Kentucky. There's not one. Um, home birth midwifery is essentially illegal. That means that it's legal for a family to have a birth at home, but it is illegal for them to have a trained midwife assist them.
1: A trained professional midwife to assist them. Mm-hmm. It is not illegal for certified nurse midwives to deliver babies in the home.
0: Right. Right which is why Mary Carol has been able to do that um, for a number of years. Now, when she wanted to sort of uh, scale up and offer offer that to more families via a birth center, why don't you tell us a little bit about what happened?
1: Yes, I um, naively thought that I could go to the Cabinet uh, for Health and Family Services in the state, apply for a Certificate of Need, meet all their criteria, and open a birth center. Well, no, that isn't how this works. What happens is you have to apply for the certificate of need. They would only take the applications two different times in the year, and you had had to have a lawyer to support your application and um, send off any people that thought you shouldn't have one have a certificate of need. Like him. (laughs) The neighborhood hospitals didn't want a uh, birth center in their area, although that was so not smart because being the first uh, birth center in Kentucky, they would have had those 12% transfers that would have come straight to them when they they weren't coming to this hospital Mm anyway for other reasons. But that being said, that was their choice. Uh, And three hospitals in my area then teamed up to fight against uh, my birth center opening. So three neighboring hospitals fought to keep my birth center out of business. And on the initial thing, they won. And so my right the rights I served for so long to defend, to open a small business and to take care of women the way I knew how to, was denied. And I am um, and, and staggered by that. I, I never saw that coming. Yeah. Um, birth centers are available in most of the states of the nation. The, uh, just south of us, Tennessee has four and is getting more. Uh, to the north, even West Virginia has birth centers, but Kentucky has none.
0: Right. So... Yeah, uh, I and they, and there was there was huge support from the community. I mean, there were hundreds of families came out to support the idea of a birth center,
1: and that really didn't matter because what happened is big money won, and they denied me the right to open a, open this business.
0: Well, when you appealed yeah. it, um, I loved I loved what the judge said, um, Judge Shepard. Um. I, essentially, the, the hospitals were arguing that there was no need for a birth center, and so the state should not approve the opening of a birth center because the hospitals were already providing birth services. And so you had to make the argument of what was the difference between a birth cent- the services provided by a birth center and the services provided by a hospital. And I loved what the judge said when he agreed that they were two different sets of services Um, I think he essentially said that what the services that a birth center provides are you know the heart and the core of its business for families looking for those services they may be able to get those services at some hospitals as an exception to those hospitals regular policies and practices and procedures but it was an exception and not how they actually run their, run their businesses, right? It was something like that. Exactly.
1: Yes, exactly. And, and gave full reason. He got it. He understood why we needed birth centers. Yeah. It's so important that women, I don't want all women to choose birth centers, but I want women to have the option to choose birth centers. I want them to have the option to know their providers. I want them to have the option to have a say-so in what happens to their body. Yeah. And in our state, in the Commonwealth, with our high cesarean section rates, that currently does not exist. Let me get... Sorry, go ahead. I first made my application for a certificate of need. This is 2017 right now. I first made my application uh, for a certificate of need in 2012. We went to court four different times, four different dates for the first application, and it ended up that that application was denied. Then I appealed that ruling, and we went to court another um, another time. And, of course, the time between rulings is always months to years. I went to court another time, and that's when our judge um, J. Philip Shepard ruled in favor of the birth centers, mm-hmm. but then the hospitals appealed that too. So we went to court almost 10 months ago now to appeal, to fight for that appeal, and we still haven't heard anything. There's still no answer from the Circuit Court of Appeals about whether or not they're going to allow birth centers. And so I really believe that justice delayed is justice denied and that the women of Kentucky are not getting the justice of having the right to say what happens to their body.
0: Right. Yeah. Well, I agree with you there. (laughs) When hospitals are deciding that families can't have options other than hospitals. um, Yeah, that is that is an injustice, I believe. Well, Mary Carol, thank you so, so much for coming on here to talk to me. I really appreciate it, and I hope you come back.
1: I hope you'll invite me. I I love talking, I love educating, and I want all women to understand what what their choices are. One of the things that's hanging in my office is if you don't know your options, you don't have any. Right. Education key to understanding what true options you have and then the advocacy to fight for those options that you want. When you're in labor, you're very vulnerable and it's a hard time to fight for options. We have yeah. to do those before we're in labor. Exactly. Thanks, Kristen. i love being with you.
0: Yeah, you too. All right. Take care. Take care. Bye. Bye. We'll be right back after the break with Birth aloud. We are back with Birth Allowed with Kristen Piscucci. Next, I want to introduce you to Mary Catherine Deloder, who is the head of the Kentucky Home Birth Coalition. That is the group of families that is that has been working on getting legislation um, through to make home birth or out-of-hospital midwifery legal and um, integrated in the state of Kentucky. Hi, Mary Catherine. Hi, Kristen. <laughs> Thanks for being here. No problem. So, Mary Catherine, I know that um, the coalition and you were in Frankfurt this week, um, working on educating legislators about this bill. Can you tell? Can you tell the rest of us what it's about?
2: Sure. Yeah, I was I was at the Capitol. I think three different days this week. Um, so we have uh, with bills your three children, by the what?
0: way, <laughs> going yeah. back and forth with three children. Yeah, um,
2: and one one of the days I took two of them with me. That was crazy. Um, <laughs> so we have t- we have bills in both the House and the Senate. Similar bills that would essentially. Um, issue licenses to certified professional midwives, midwives who have obtained the CPM credential. It's a credential that's used in 31 other states to recognize uh, midwives who are not nurses. And it would also create a board of midwifery to oversee uh, the midwives to take care of issuing the licenses, uh, take care of disciplinary measures, and all that sort of thing.
0: Gotcha. So that's that's the,
2: the, the really broad nutshell of what it would do.
0: Yeah. Um, so tell me a little bit about this process, um, when you all started, and what it's been like.
2: Well, there have, so home birth uh, midwives have basically been underground in Kentucky for the last 42 years. Um, from the 1950s to the 1970s, they were issued permits. In the 70s, the state stopped issuing the permits. So since that time in 1975 when they stopped, there's been various efforts almost every decade to try to change things. Um, And So Kentucky Home Birth Coalition is the latest iteration of that movement, and we started in
0: 2012,
2: Mm -hmm. and uh, we had a bill that we introduced in 2013. Uh, all of us involved were completely novices to the political process, and we learned we got a bill sponsor, we introduced a bill, it got sent to a committee, and then it died. Um, but we were still really excited to have done even just that little bit, <laughs> because we, we learned how the process worked, but we also realized that we needed some help. And so we spent the next three years raising funds so that we could hire a professional lobbyist we have come to lovingly, lovingly refer to as our legislative doula. <laughs>
0: because that's what, that's what he does. He, for he for he people listening at home, through. a doula is a essentially a support person. So most of us think of, of doulas as being birth doulas. Um, so that's somebody who goes, who, you know, who works with a mother prenatally and through birth and a little bit after as well, um, just to guide, support and inform. Not a medical professional, um, but more of like you know like a sherpa in a foreign land who speaks the language
2: yeah our lobbyist we, we are definitely in a foreign land and our lobbyist speaks the language of the capital um <laughs> so last year in uh 2016 we introduced a bill we ended up introducing bills in both the house and the senate um and we got our bill in the senate uh all the way, it passed through the Health and Welfare Committee last year, um, and, but then it got assigned to a second committee. And what happened was the medical community really wasn't paying attention. I think they didn't give much credence to our effort, and I thought, oh, this won't go anywhere. But then once we passed out of the Health Committee with a 9-2 to two vote, so 9 in favor and 2 opposed, they started to pay attention and made a few well-placed phone calls. We got sent to a second committee, which our lobbyist explained, when you get sent to a second committee after passing out of a first committee, (laughs) that kind of means you're dead.
0: That's the death So, Yeah.
2: That was the end of it for that session. So we worked very hard over um, the period in between the 2016 session and the 2017 legislative session to meet with a lot of the different medical groups and try to work out as much as we could about the concerns those groups had. So here we are in 2017. The legislative session started at the beginning of January, and um, they have 30 working days for the session. So they will finish that up at the end of March. So our bill in the House was supposed to have been heard this past Tuesday, but there was a representative who was planning to amend the bill to include a ban on VBACs, vaginal birth after cesarean. Mm
0: -hmm. So let's quickly explain what, let me just quickly explain what that is, which is after a woman has a C-section, um, for her next pregnancy, she can either deliver vaginally or she can go back for another C-section. They're encouraged, um, you know, via national health guidelines and policies, um, women are to be encouraged to have vaginal births after cesarean. However, in reality, that's, um, you know, that's, that's really, that isn't reality, um. Most, most doctors recommend cesareans after cesareans, and then a lot of um, hospitals have flat-out bans on women having vaginal births after cesarean, which is a topic for another show, but um, I will say safety is not, um, is not the primary factor in those bans. So sorry to sorry to interrupt you on that, Mary Catherine, but I just wanted to make sure people understood. Um, and so the so the actually the, the repeat C section rate in Kentucky is almost ninety three percent. So almost ninety three percent of women who have a C section the first time will then go on to have um, more C sections.
2: Yeah, and because of that, and because of the lack of access to hospital, be back in Kentucky, um, a lot of women turn to home birth um, because they are able to have successful VBACs at home, which is the reason why, when we found out there was going to be a change proposed to our bill that would prohibit v VBAC at home, we were adamantly opposed. So in a matter of days, we went from supporting a bill to potentially having to oppose our own bill because it was going to be gutted and replaced with all new language. So we mobilized. Um, well, we had a, we did a Facebook Live video one night and said, this is what has happened. This is what we're being faced with. How do you all feel about this? the particular legislator who was going to introduce this um, felt confident that if we would accept this um, plan, that it, it could get passed. Um, with, but the, with the, the ban,
0: th- and, and, and a bunch of other bans too, not just yes, not that, just this ban. Yeah, the, uh,
2: there was there were six other things that would have been banned, but this was the one of most primary concern for us. Um, and our constituents said loud and clear, no, we're not okay with that. So we said, okay, well, then our, our job is to now uh, – Blow up all lines of communication with our with the members of this health committee in the House and let them know we do not want this change made to our bill. Yeah, um, and so folks were very vocal. Um, lots of uh, tweets and phone calls and emails and letters. We had our lobby day on Tuesday. It just so happened we were already planning to have a huge lobby day. We probably had 200 people there. We had visits with well over 50 legislators in one day. And it made a huge impact. Mm-hmm. So when it came Thursday, time for the hearing, uh, about an hour before the hearing, we got word that the our bill had been pulled from the agenda. And that means that it wasn't going to be heard, it wasn't going to be changed, but it also means that the bill in the House is basically dead for this session. Mm-hmm. But it was actually a good thing because we would rather have a dead bill than do have a VBAC ban potentially on our hands.
0: And um, a bunch of other bans, right. A, bill, a bunch of other right. A bill that is... Overly restrictive, as yeah.
2: So we turned our attention to our Senate bill. Um, so this, this was yesterday that this hearing was supposed to have happened, and so then later in the day on Thursday, uh, we got word that our Senate bill has was being taken out of the Health and Welfare Committee in the Senate and moved to the Licensing and Occupations Committee, and they were prepared to hear it um, this coming Tuesday. Um, so that was Thursday, and, and so That's they're amazing. ready to hear it on Tuesday. So yeah. now we are regrouping, preparing for that. Um asking our supporters to turn around and get back to Frankfurt um, within a few days' time. yeah and uh, hopefully it goes well on that committee. We'll wait and see.
0: yeah. well, one of the families um, I know who felt really strongly about the idea of um of the bans on vaginal birth after cesarean we're actually going to hear from here um. You know, they were they were in a situation that a lot of women and families are in when they've had a cesarean and then they find out that um, either their hospital doesn't allow them to have a vaginal birth after that, or they're told that they do have support for a vaginal birth right up until the end of pregnancy and. Um, When all of a sudden that support is withdrawn and they're told you need to schedule a C-section, we're not going to be allowing you to have a vaginal birth here. You know, that's that's just a very common situation. Like, I don't know how many dozens of people I've talked to who have been in um, one of those two situations. Um, And so, like you said, a lot of women sort of out of desperation turn to home v-back because they don't have any other options and for many of them that is um uh it's it's a desperate health crisis um for a woman to essentially have to have to undergo a risky surgery that might not be best for that individual woman or baby um mary catherine thank you so much for being here i really appreciate it and i'm sure we'll talk to you again Thank you. Okay, take care. Bye-bye. We'll be right back after the break with Birth Allowed. Welcome back to Birth Allowed with Kristen Piscucci. Earlier in the show, we talked a little bit about vaginal birth after cesarean and the idea that a lot of Kentucky hospitals don't allow a woman to have a vaginal birth if she's had a cesarean or a c-section in the past. Just to reiterate, that is contrary to national public health guidelines and national guidelines for obstetricians, but it's still a practice that's really common around the country. It's estimated that over 40% of U.S. hospitals ban vaginal birth after cesarean. So I remember the first time I heard of this concept, and I was just really shocked that um, that in you know the United States in the 21st century, a hospital could tell a woman she's not allowed to use her own body to give birth. It means that you have to consent to surgery, and that's simply not respectful of a person's legal and human rights to say that they don't have the right to say no to surgery and yet it's really common and especially in Kentucky in in Kentucky 3 out of 4 hospitals have 95% or greater repeat C-section rates and most of those 3 out of 4 hospitals have repeat C-section rates. That means that if a woman has a C-section for any reason, she will have more C-sections after that C-section. Now this is a really big public health issue because first of all, we already have one of the highest C-section rates in the country at just over 35%. So we know that rate is already too high that we're doing too many surgeries almost goes without saying that some of those surgeries are necessary and wanted but not all of them are and when you're doing surgeries where the benefits don't outweigh the risks you're putting mothers and babies in harm's way. After that when a woman continues to have more surgeries to have her babies her health risks and some of the risks to the babies go go way up, and um, it can be even life-threatening. So recently, in January of 2017, I interviewed a few families around the state of Kentucky who had had run-ins with VBAC bans or having trouble finding a hospital or a provider who would support them in having a vaginal birth after cesarean. One of these families told me a really amazing story. I don't want to spoil anything, so I won't say much more, except that it's sort of an interesting look into how these kinds of policies actually play out in reality for these families. And I want you to think about, as you're listening to this, the fact that safety is almost always invoked as the reason for telling the woman what she's allowed or not allowed to do. So think about that as you're listening to this family's story. So
3: I had a C-section with my first. My second, I was going for a V-bag in hospital. Like home birth, not even on the radar. Like, no, that's scary, I wouldn't do that. And um, I was like 100% bait and switch very last minute. I was going to a provider who had a very good reputation with. VBAC and just like natural birth um, cause I just wanted it to be natural for the best chance of VBAC. Mm-hmm. And um, that night I had contractions off and on and the next day um, we, I started having consistent contractions and we had, were packing up our stuff to go to the hospital to like check in and get ready to have a baby. And I got a phone call from the group it started as my actual provider, and it was like it was like I was being tricked or something because it was like the phone was like taken from them or something and handed to somebody else in the practice who was known not to be friendly to natural birth or VBACs, and that provider then began to be very hateful and rude to me and tell me that if I walked into their hospital, I had zero options for VBAC that my only option would be a c-section even though there's nothing wrong with the baby Um, or I can go elsewhere for care and that is yeah that was really hard and I decided to go elsewhere when I was having consistent contractions in early labor at 41 weeks and four days
0: yeah oh wow yeah, how did you find somewhere
4: else to go? The elsewhere was set up by that same doctor.
0: Yeah, so and
4: pre-told what that same doctor wanted us to do.
3: Yeah, so we ended up going to. It's not funny. It
0: <laughs> it's is, bizarre. It is
4: six years later. <laughs>
0: right. Oh my god, I can imagine it was yeah, horrifying at the time. Like yes. that's super six years ago. It was one of the
4: worst
3: horrifying. days. Yeah, yeah. Like there's a a dark cloud over that birth. Um, I, I was never given any safety reasons for why I was being told I had no options. It was just, you walk into this hospital, you have a C-section, or you go somewhere else. Um, really couldn't get anywhere, and the whole phone call was very threatening, very aggressive. Actually,
4: that doctor told her, you already failed your V-back. Yeah. You will never have a V-back.
3: So, talk about traumatic.
4: Telling that to a 41 and a half week pregnant in early stage labor woman. Yeah.
3: Wow. So we... For no reason.
4: And we'd never met this lady either. We'd never
3: even met her. I had been kind of vocal about it, you know, afterwards and told people, like, don't go there. Mm -hmm. And apparently some of that has gotten back to, you know, the providers and... And their their excuse or reasoning is, well, she's just somebody who fell through the cracks. And nobody should fall through the cracks. Nobody should have to go through that. Um, Nobody should have to be in early labor and be driving to a hospital in another city you've never been to to see if somebody will support you. Nobody should have to go through that. Yeah, we drove like 45 minutes to a hospital I'd never been to, a doctor I'd never been to, got an ultrasound. Baby looked great, but was told that I still would not be supported because, you know, they didn't know me and it was a larger baby um, and because I'd already had a C-section, so.
4: The options he gave us were, you can I can do a C-section now or you can attempt to find a hospital that you can walk into and see how far you can go without getting a C section. But you're most likely gonna have a C section anywhere you go.
3: So it was really So you went really defeating. Diff- so, okay, so you <laughs> got
0: switched at one hospital. Yeah. Drove in labor to another hospital yeah. where they basically were like, Oh, well we're not gonna support you either.
3: Yeah.
0: You can go somewhere else, but they're also not gonna support you. Uh-huh. Yeah.
3: Oh, I was a mess that day. I was a mess. I had no idea what to do. I wasn't prepared to walk into somewhere I'd never been and, like, mm-hmm. battle people to get what I knew was the safest option. Like, I, I wasn't prepared for that. Mm-hmm. And that was the moment where I was just done mm-hmm. because I didn't know anything else that I could do at that point um, and I was just kind of like throw your hands up like whatever just do it get it over with because mm-hmm. I'm clearly not going to be supported anywhere so let's just get this awful thing over with so we ended up just staying there and having An unnecessary C-section. And I had a perfectly healthy child. But I was not healthy. Like, I walked away from that really depressed. I cried a lot after that. She
4: cried for a long time and actually wouldn't talk about it for a couple weeks. Which is why I handled all phone calls after that. And blocked anyone from communicating with her from that original hospital.
3: Yeah. When you go to your postpartum and she's like, "How are you doing? Are you having postpartum depression?" or and I'm I'm sitting here going, "I'm depressed, but not because it's postpartum. I. You know, I'm angry." And that
0: takes a long time to get over. This family went on to have two healthy v at home with trained professional midwives. But that's another story. And while this story may seem extreme, the only really extreme thing about it is that this mother chose to go to a second hospital instead of acquiescing to the cesarean she was told she had to have. Because her story is all too familiar. And It's a big piece of the puzzle when we look at why families are choosing out-of-hospital births. This has been Birth Allowed with Kristen Piscucci. If you'd like to reach me with questions or show ideas or anything else, you can email me at birthallowedradio at gmail.com. Thanks for being here with us. We'll be back every other Sunday at 1 p.m. on WLXU.